Hello, I'm Alison Larkin, writer, comedian, narrator, and host of The Jane Austen Podcast. Join me as we embark on a journey through Austen's timeless stories, starting with Pride and Prejudice. The Jane Austen Podcast with Alison Larkin is available wherever you listen to podcasts. It's time for the Life Writing Podcast with your hosts, authors and screenwriters Stephen Barnes and Tanana Reeve Du. All about creating the project of your dreams while living a balanced artist's life. Be the hero or heroine of your own story. Sponsored by LifeWritingPremium.com. Get ready to write for your life. Welcome to the Life Writing Podcast, where married authors and screenwriters, Stephen Barnes and Tanana Reeve do talk about writing during stressful times, breaking into Hollywood and balancing life. Every week, we'll share more tips on how to build a better life while you create your dream projects. Even if it's only at the rate of a sentence a day, life writing is the application of the tools of writing to life and the tools of life to your writing. So here we are, everybody. Good to be back. My applause didn't come on. Oh, there it is. There it is. There it is. Okay, yay. How are you doing? I'm not usually sitting here. Very nice. The belly belly of the beast. You know, they said in the beginning, oh, it can't be done. You know, it's so hard to come up with a, a sound bank for Zoom. I was like, yeah, I researched I found a way. I did it. So sometimes I overdo it. (laughs) But anyway, we're very excited to be here. My biggest tweet of the week was about the trailer for Octavia E. Butler's Kindred, the adaptation that FX is doing later this year. I'll look up exactly when that comes out. But that's what we'll be talking about with our guest, a friend of mine. We we co-ran a webinar called Octavia Tried to Tell Us all through the pandemic. And an Octavia Butler scholar, Dr. Monica A. Coleman is here. At first, we should, uh, what we need to do, we need to catch up a little bit. So let's play the catch up music. The catch up music is slow. <laughs> Also, Monica is also a pastor, so that's um, um really? you can't stop that now. <laughs> that's right. Let's not get carried away. Monica is also a pastor, so that's that music is very appropriate. But we just use that as our soundtrack to talk about all the things that are going on in our lives. So, what's up with you first, darling? Oh God, I feel like I, I was on Kajabi, the uh, the platform sales platform that we use for our courses, trying to navigate that, and that was a little bit frustrating. So I'm a little fried <laughs> right now. Um, tech stuff, tech in stuff. The way. Yeah, our tech guy is out of town, and so it's a little. You know, he's on a cruise to Alaska. So it's you. a little bit. It's a little bit hard to to do that. But I'm working on. Uh, there's a, a friend of mine who has a, a group of people who who she believes is are a good choice for the fire dance tai chi class that that we're that we're doing i'm taking class too i'm learning my little baby steps and uh, you can check that out at uh, www.firedancetaichi.com and the intent is to create a 10 to 20 minute a day program that literally does more than any other program in the world it marries you know tai chi which is the most popular stress fitness activity in the world with some really powerful neurotechnology and so i'm i'm really happy about that and let's see what else 
I think that I, I've been trying to figure out what the, my next screenplay was going to be. You're working on uh, the treatment for a screenplay. Yes, I So am. you're kind of ahead of me. And I was working on a short story. I'd done a short story, sold a short story called Mummy Dearest. And I was going to, the, 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 the uh, director who, the, the, the anthologist mm-hmm. who, purchased it is also a director and mm-hmm. kind of said yeah hey, this should be a short film so I, I thought said, the same thing when I was reading it yeah I so I said well let me try turning this into a short film and I will probably complete that process either that or I will put it aside in this in the form that it is now and start working on the feature because Why do you not want to complete it now because it doesn't have a market there's no place I can go I can't send it out to my, uh, our agents uh, you know if he says hey listen would you like to turn this into a, into a script it's already nine tenths of the way there okay but true. meanwhile there's a part of me that wants to be working on something that at least has the potential to make it through and it's like trying to look at Hollywood and say well we have a better understanding of Hollywood now we have better allies than we've had I think that in some ways we have better skills mm-hmm. than we've had before mm-hmm. so what can we create that can thread that needle? And so you and I had some conversations about that. Yes. And I think that I might, I'm going to be looking at the possibility of a book that I wrote. I think it was either my third or I think my fourth novel, fourth or fifth novel called The Kundalini Equation. It's a mm-hmm. martial arts, science fiction, horror mm-hmm. story. And I think that, that it might it might work well for that, especially if I reconsider the climax you know, and and ask myself, how would I have structured this today as opposed to that earlier phase of my career? So I'm working on that. And other than that, we're working on with our son, Jason. Yes, he's uh, making great progress this week in his marketing internship with us. I'm yes. very excited. He's putting his best foot forward. I'm sure he has his own reasons, but well, that's those are the only reasons that matter. I don't care what the reasons are. We've seen a big change in him this week. Well, that's the thing that, that I think that is important, you know, and, and this is an important principle in sales and marketing as well as in parenting, that people don't do things for your reasons. Right. They do things for their reasons. Right. Now, we can tell Jason, if he doesn't do this, we'll turn off his internet, or if he doesn't do this, you know, we'll be unhappy with him. But that's motivating him with external pain. Yeah. He's going to d- dig in his feet. He's been up in the gym every morning that's because, for the past three days. That's because he's doing it for his yes, reasons. When great. people want something for their own reasons, they are self-motivating. Whereas if they're doing it to get your approval or to avoid pain, they're going to look for a way to avoid. First the, chance. Yeah, the first chance they get. So he seems to be figuring out how to motivate things, how to do things for his own reasons. How about you? What, what are we up to this week? Really excited that I am past the typing stage of my treatment writers. You know, sometimes you're working on a project and day after day you're working on it. It just feels like typing. You're not necessarily, I don't no, know how to explain it. It's just, just getting the work done, just hauling hauling the uh, the water buckets to try to get something done. And now it really feels like it's coming to life. It's like one of those things I can see this movie unfolding before my eyes. I've mentioned in previous podcasts, I'm writing a feature version of a story called Incident at Bear Creek Lodge, which is in the anthology Other Terrors, which is a great anthology, by the way, horror lovers, or even if you don't love horror, maybe you will now. Authors like me, Amakatsu, Cabino Iglesias, Stephen Graham Jones, you get the idea. Big heavy hitters in, in marginalized horror spaces. And my story was kind of a prologue. It was something that will serve as a flashback in a story that's set in the present. And my jam, I don't mind telling people, 
I love that aerial shot of the car on the secluded road going into the woods. That's my jam. Yeah, it starts in like survival horror movies, right? Survival i'm finally getting to write that shot into a script why it's a family going on a vacation to a lodge and they're isolated or it's a hitchhiking teen or something very very bad is going to happen in the course of this story the beautiful thing about the woods is that you're automatically in a space that is different and so you've already taken one step toward the strange one step toward the weird that's it you're outside of your normal environment they're from the suburbs And uh, this is a place the dad used to go a lot when he was a kid. The girls, you know, I'm kind of having to make them outdoor oriented. They're fascinated by the snow. And I can believe that. You're growing up in L.A. You don't get to see that much snow. The older daughter has been to Big Bear and she likes to snowboard. And she does a kind of a thing on her phone where she, like our son did, where she tapes herself snowboarding. So they're the ones who don't care that they're not going to have internet for a couple days they're going to spend Christmas in this lodge and things are going to go very, very wrong. (laughs) (laughs) So that's what I'm working on is getting the point where my page quotas are increasing. I'm not letting my work in marketing and sales or my work at UCLA get in the way. And in fact, I'm very proud of myself that I put my writing first this morning. Good. First thing I did was was work on my writing. Is that sort of done by one have you gotten all of your basic work done today not yet no okay so you can do a three by two or three three by three out the door by four what you're gonna do or a line by five (laughs) without let's not keep her waiting because we have an amazing guest today to talk about something very exciting if you listen to our podcast you know we had a previous episode where we played excerpts of interviews an interview that we did with octavia butler back in 2000 and we were kind of joking about Hollywood interest in speculative black speculative fiction and her work and our work and I, I she said well you know Hollywood and we all laughed and laughed and laughed well finally in our year of our Lord 2022 Octavia Butler is going to get to the big screen with the FX adaptation of her novel Kindred which for is a, that lot a limited of- series. I believe it is a limited series, yep. and I, I'll have to check on that. Another thing to research before the podcast is over. And to talk about that and unpack it with me, the first person I thought of was my partner in crime during the pandemic. I co-ran a webinar called Octavia Tried Tell Us, which was centered around her novel Parable of the Sower. But we talked about all things Octavia and survival and facing pandemic and face, facing adversity. So I wanted to bring her back on, Dr. Monica A. Coleman is the John and Patricia Cochran Scholar for Inclusive Excellence and a professor of Africana Studies at the University of Delaware. She spent nearly 15 years in graduate theological education at Claremont School of Theology, the Center for Process Studies, and Lutheran School of Theology at Chicago. She's earned degrees from Harvard University, Vanderbilt University, Claremont Graduate University, funding from all leading foundations in the United States, basically. <laughs> it would be easier to just say that, that to read them all. And she's also an author herself, so I want her to talk about her own work, but please do welcome audience Monica A. Coleman to the show. Come on in, Monica. Let me ask you to unmute and let me start your video. Come on out. She is. Did you see how that that excitement of the audience arose as soon as your face appeared? I have to wave when I hear the applause, right? 
Right. So welcome to the podcast. Yeah, I don't know. Where do we even begin? I, I mean, maybe with the trailer itself, it, so where were you when you first heard it was coming, that it was real? Because, you know, they've been developing a lot of Octavia projects for a very long time. And this is the first one that has actually happened. Right. Where was I? I you know, I mean, they've been talking about it for a long time. And then I think they announced, maybe it was a couple months ago, maybe a couple months ago, right? They're like, it's coming these dates on Hulu. And I wasn't somewhere. I think people started sending it to me, right? <laughs> because people know how much I love Octavia Butler. And I'm not on social media all day. And so I think some, a couple of my friends sent me like the screenshot, like, oh, it's coming. And of course, the first thing I did was text you <laughs> and say... <laughs> Yes, we should, we should do we should a pop-up. We should we do a pop-up. This band. is what happens. See, I text Nana Reeve, and then like months later, we're still doing something. Ha- well, we will. We will. We will reignite our Octavia tried to tell us uh, vibe that we had going during the pandemic so that we can all come together after we've had a chance after, to see yeah. at least some of the series, which does drop December 13th on Hulu, which is a little confusing because FX released the trailer, but it's airing on Hulu. I'm not sure what that's all about. But in any case, it looks, yeah, I just literally saw the trailer a couple of days ago and I put it up on my Twitter right away. And even in the week of a midterm election, a week when I was posting funny photos of myself, like I found the photo of myself doing stand-up comedy in the 1990s, all those great posts. The one that has got the most legs is that Octavia trailer that everyone is so excited to see. And I guess unpacking the trailer itself, you noted it was scarier than you thought it would be. It was so scary. (laughs) And it was like the scary music. I was like, this is a horror show. And I'm surprised by that, as I tend to be. Partly because I don't always envision things that detailed. And I, what, Kindred wasn't my first Octavia book, right? So by the time I have read like the Xenogenesis series and the Pattern Master series, the fact that we're talking about people, people made it not that scary. Right. right. So, yeah, these are just regular like, humans. Who cares? Right. right. Like they're regular <laughs> humans. This is actually boring, right? Compared to, you know, the Kali, right? And, and everything else that she had done before then. I was trying to read the books in the order she wrote them. When I was um, when I was reading Octavia Butler stuff the first time, so it didn't it didn't quite settle into me how terrifying like the experience was. So to me, the trailer the trailer was like seeing it from her side, right? Like, oh, I bet that was scary because I don't think right. I I kind of was reading it what reading from the outside here instead of being like, oh. I thought that was incredibly terrifying <laughs> and mm-hmm. it hadn't really, I hadn't felt it that way before. So I was like, Ooh, Do you think that, that was a matter of, of your perspective on it or was it the way it was written? Because um, the, the once you put it on television, the director, you know, can with camera angles and music, as Jordan Peele said, you control the tone. So yeah. if the tone of her book was more like an adventure story, you know, or a philo- or a philosophical treatise, then horror, 
you know, the same exact same events told from a slightly different perspective will give you a different emotional response. Before you answer that and think that over, it just dawned on me, Don, get it, an Octavia Butler novel, that some of our listeners may not have any idea what Kindred is about. So let me back it up and let's talk about Kindred. Kindred, which was published, I believe, in the late 1970s, yeah. I think it was 79 or something like that. I could look that up, was Octavia Butler's answer to critics who thought that her science fiction stories about aliens and telepaths were not rooted enough to the movement, okay? And so she wanted to write something blackety black. (laughs) So she came up with an idea about a contemporary woman named Dana, who is in an interracial marriage, which is important to the plot, and finds herself inexplicably being drawn back into the antebellum slavery period every time this strange little white boy is in trouble. He almost drowns, he almost burns himself up, and she never knows when it's going to happen. It hurts her physically sometimes when it happens. But the really scary part is that for longer and longer periods, she is stuck in the past. And, you know... Specifically in in, in, in slavery. slavery. And what I find very interesting about that trailer is you would never know that the slavery part is in that story. There's no picture of an antebellum mansion. There's not a whip or a chain in sight. There's like one man pointing a gun and a white woman who looks very privileged sort of sitting in a chair, but she's not even really bossing her around. I mean, there's no mastery, massive stuff going on. It, It just, from the trailer, you would think... It's just kind of like a Twilight Zone episode, right? About sorry, Twilight Zone like series about a woman who 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 gets whisked away places and, and she thinks she's going crazy. That's really what they leaned into. Well, you know, it's it's funny because as you were talking about it, I always I think of it kindred probably in two ways. I did read it like an adventure, Steve, like you're saying, right? It didn't. That's how I, you know, I read it when I was reading. And it's also, you know, for those of us who are teaching Black studies, like it's a slavery book, right? It's one of those books that's a book about slavery, but probably one of the better ones in in terms of what you'd want to teach in a more contemporary setting. And I remember when I first read this, probably 80s, late 80s, 90s, and I introduced my mom to it. And my mom at that time was in charge of all of the language arts for the school district where we lived or where she lived. I can't remember in high school or college. And she kind of put that on one of the required reading lists for what were then junior high school students, what we now call middle schoolers. Immediately. Right. Like pretty soon. One, because it was a level they could understand, but it was a good way right, of introducing slavery. And I always thought, well, this is like the least science fiction-y of her books, even though there's time travel, right? Because I guess I just take time travel as a given by the time you get to Kindred. Of course there's time travel. Oh my gosh, you've been to other planets by that time. Right, we've been to planets, we've been to telepaths. So now we're with people. But I did, I think I remember when I read it the first time even, feeling like, when is she going to get back, right? Like I could, the, the horror to me was how she was stuck in slavery, right? And what, I mean, that's the horror, right? That really is the horror for most Black people. Like, slavery is the horror. Mm -hmm. Um, And so her being stuck there, and of course, as you're reading, you're not sure how she's going to get back, when she's going to get back, if she's going to get back, if she's going to get back, right? Because who's to say you're going to live through enslavement? So that part was the scariest part to me. Yeah, and and the big gimmick about Kindred, which isn't a spoiler, but I think it's important in understanding why this book has so much impact, 
is that she isn't being drawn back into history randomly. This white family is a family that once owned her forebears and is a part of her DNA and lineage because of, unfortunately, rape being commodified during slavery. She, like a lot of African-Americans, you know, look at our different complexions, you know, somewhere down there in the history line, especially if it was during the slavery era, there was non-consexual sex, rape, maybe trying to curry favor sometimes. But, but you know, when you have absolute power over someone, rape is generally what you would call it. And, and there was a whole lot of that. And that's one of the most insidious parts of slavery was the forced sexual activity because you could literally make money <laughs> by having children with people that, that you had supposedly bought. And the other most insidious part was that they would just very callously and cruelly sell those children away. You can shop from anywhere doing pretty much anything. You might shop while working eating, or even listening to this podcast. And however you shop, we all know and love the thrill of the hunt. But do you also know how to get the thrill of the best deals? Because Rakuten shoppers do. With Rakuten, they get the deals they love with the most savings and cash back. And you can get it too. Start getting cash back at your favorite stores like Sephora, Nike, and even Expedia if you're looking to get some travel in. And getting cash back doesn't mean you have to miss out on sales because those can just be stacked right on top. It's easy to use and based on a simple idea. Stores pay Rakuten for sending them shoppers and Rakuten shares the money with you as cash back through PayPal or check. Download the free Rakuten app and never miss a deal. Or go to Rakuten.com to start getting the most bang for your buck. That's R-A-K-U-T-E-N. Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Buntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Buntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. Right. And so that's the horror, right? I mean, to me, that's the horror and, you know, not giving it away again, you know, the legacy of that, right, in terms of the complex negotiation that enslaved Black women had to do, that even maybe contemporary Blacks have to do around around race, around color, around history, around consent, right, that clearly not everybody in this country has to negotiate or navigate. And, and then, of course, it's, comp- it's more complex because she's in this interracial relationship, right? And you see this in the book. And so I guess those were the parts that were like the hard, the parts that were kind of reminded us the hard parts of life. So I was just jarred, I think, a little bit watching the trailer because it felt more traditional horror movie, right? Like it's a scary woods part. Not the scary black part. <laughs> right, right. So right. I see. Well, I, I think, I mean, I haven't had the chance to talk to the producers, although I do know one of the directors, and I'm not going to say her name because I don't know if it's public yet that she's one of the directors, but I trust her. I, you know, I, I, I someone I know fairly well, actually, yeah, one of my favorite people was a director on the series. And I can't wait to sort of download this with them. I'm like, okay, well, did you intentionally 
lean into sort of the traditional woodsy horror imagery to, and and lean away from the historical slavery imagery yeah, so that people wouldn't she be probably scared. didn't cut the trailer no well that's true but i'm wondering if the series itself minimizes some i mean i think it would almost have to because let's just be real if you've read octavia butler she is raw she is raw and she is unfiltered so there are aspects of almost any of her books that would be unfilmable in the sense that it would be very, very hard. Like Parable of the Sower is a good example. When when the town is attacked, oh, that's a spoiler, but everybody's attacked in one way or another in Parable <laughs> of the Sower. I mean, there are just things you could not show on screen and expect an audience to watch this as entertainment, right? Right. So I wonder how much of that will be in play with Kindred because it's so uncomfortable in some ways, not just because of the slavery aspect, but because let's talk about this character herself. Dana makes some very complex decisions that there are things that she does and things she doesn't do that are fodder for conversation and debate in the novel form, right? Like times she doesn't intervene and think, you know, because again, if she intervenes too much, she won't be born, right? Right, right. So that's interesting. Which which is a kind of classic time travel problem, right? Like if I go fiddling around too much right in the past, then I'm going to affect the present. Um, But I I agree with you. I mean, when I saw it, I also thought, and this is y'all's realm for the Hollywood stuff, like maybe they made it this way so more people would watch it, right? So Like I said, you're not going to know until you actually see it. Trailers are not the same thing as the film. It's just just a sell. It's an advertisement for the film. So what they will tease is not necessarily a content of the movie. So we won't really know until December. No, that's true. We won't know until right. December. But what and I else? thought they were giving it to us all at once so we could binge it. That's what I thought. That's what I had in my ah, head. That it was I, like going to be bingeable. Is it going to be bingeable? I am not sure. That is another thing for our research. It's not just drip It'll be stuff. Hulu. It's something for our crack production researchers to get on. Go on, look that up, team. <laughs> No, we don't have this, just before we don't have a team. We are the team. <laughs> what do you think would be the better choice? I mean, are there I think the people are moving more towards going back to a weekly format. Mm. You know, I think that there was a lot of binging, and now I think that they're you know they're they're going in a, going in a different direction. So I'm going to guess that it's a, it's a fifty fifty. But if I had to make a guess, it's going to be a weekly show. Well, whether it's we'll a, a weekly show or not, if it's well, eight weekly, episodes, right? Isn't that what they told us? Eight oh, episodes? shoot. They're saying all eight episodes will be available at the premiere. Oh, cool. Well, let me yeah, just bingeable. That. That's why we need everyone to binge bingeable. it so we could talk about it. But it's just Hulu tends not to binge. It's usually the Netflix people who do the binging. Thing. Let me ask. Yeah. Do we want to binge it? Would be my question. Because if it's nearly as intense as the novel, that will be a lot. But then you have to well, see watch a couple happens, episodes right? a day. Yeah. Yeah. Well, or it's like, you know, it might be the kind of thing where you stay up at night watching them when you should be sleeping because you just have to know how it's going to end. Oh, wouldn't that be great? Wouldn't that right? be great? I mean, just because it's so good. And then right? doing it right around the time that people are mm-hmm. getting off work and have the holidays. So you have time to go binging. <laughs> That's true. Well, you know, you know, I'm going to I'm going to bet that 
it's not broadcast television. Right. You right. know, you can, I, I, I don't know what image, I don't think I never, ever saw any imagery from Octavia that would, it's, it's worse than anything I've seen, you know, on screen. On the other hand, the question of matching imagery to overall tone and thematics might say, well, this is going to be too raw visually. So let's do it obliquely or let's not show this particular this particular moment, those kinds of decisions can be made, but I mean, you can put anything on screen. Mm. Now, the question is, well, what yeah. is the taste of the people making it yeah. in, in terms of what they consider to be, you know, this is not the kind of show that we want to make. Well, Who are making the decisions? Yeah, there are some shows, I don't want to name names, that I thought got a little bit too raw in terms of the racialized violence and made it unwatchable to me, you know, in terms of Black horror, because I tend to lean toward fantasy horror is a healing kind of horror and horror that cues too closely to human evil is not as satisfying to me because there are too many evil humans in the real world, you know, and, and in history, frankly, and, and slavery is something we had LeVar Burton on an earlier podcast and, and talked about the impact of roots. And I read that young. So that very sort of visceral attachment to people who were undergoing like living their best lives in in West Africa abducted brought here in chains foot cut off i mean i was like dialed in to a very deep level yeah, and they pulled that back they didn't cut his whole foot off they cut half his foot right? off and then at the very end they have Vic Morrow tied to the tree let's not whip him that oh. makes us as bad as him oh. i'm sure that was very comforting to the white audience the white people were like what the- which is also that was also like network TV like yeah. decades ago, right? Like there are a lot of things on TV now that they wouldn't have had on TV then. It's true. Um, that is so true. And, and it think, wasn't paid either, right? It I mean, was so it, painful. I, I think that but it was trying to figure out what is the final reaction we want the audience to have. What do we want people to feel when they turn it off? You know, what do we want them to take away? And I think that a lot of what Roots was in terms of the positive intent was let's get a conversation going and it let's, is. let's get closer to the reality. And, you know, the, the reality of slavery as demonstrated in roots strikes me as being kind of middle of the road. You know, it wasn't, you know, it wasn't gone with the wind, you know, were there slaves that were treated like the slaves had gone with the wind? Undoubtedly. Were there slaves that treated worse than the ones in Django and chain? Undoubtedly. Roots was kind of in the middle of that. It wasn't, it wasn't 12 years a slave. It wasn't uh, the new birth of a nation, which had a very, very grim a- image of, of slavery for enslaved people. So yeah, the, striking that tone is going to be so, so important. And one thing I find very interesting is that, as you said, for so many people, Kindred is their gateway drug to Octavia Butler's work, right? So mm-hmm. they're not considering themselves science fiction or fantasy readers in particular, but they want to read an Octavia Butler novel. That is the one I usually recommend first, although like you, it was not my first. My first was Wild Seed because someone told me when I was writing My Soul to Keep about an African immortal, they said, have you read Octavia Butler's novel about an African immortal? And I had a heart attack. And then I read, not literally, but I was very panicked. And then I read Wild Seed to be sure <laughs> that <laughs> she hadn't already written My Soul to Keep, and she had not. They're very different books. Very different. But for a lot of people, Kindred is the first, and it's very relatable for the reasons that you've said. We're already teaching slavery, And then all you're adding is a time travel element, which literally takes you, the reader, a contemporary person, and forces you to walk in the shoes of someone who is whisked back into the slavery era, which 
as a conceit, you know, all of us were like, oh, well, if I was in slavery, I would have done this or I would have done that. It's a very sobering <laughs> experience as a reader. It's something that's easy to assign in classrooms because, and I often have said of Kindred that if you read Kindred, Beloved, and Roots, that is a pretty sturdy literary foundation in terms of the depiction of slavery and the trauma that it caused, right? Roots going all the way back to Africa, beloved going to post-slavery. Well, you know, it's funny you brought up, you know, those three books and tone, because it's interesting what different people find to be horrifying in each of those, right? So, you know, I'm closest to y'all's age, right? So I would watch Roots on network television, right? Like as a kid, like a a little kid. A little kid. Um, Practically a baby. Right. No, but I mean, like, I wasn't 10. Like, I was a kid, right? Watching Roots. And the part that stuck, that still sticks with me, isn't like the whips, the chains, it's Toby, right? It is that, you know, like the, the dripping of the name. Like, that's the part that more than anything else still, like, you know, still gets me as being this deep, deep bit of cruelty. Right. right. So and, it and- wasn't. Yeah, it wasn't the, you know, like, oh, did they cut off the whole foot or whatever? Like, that's the part that really got me. Or even with Beloved, right? Which that movie was actually a good movie, given the complexity of the book, which you can't always say, right? Um, I, I, you know, it's very difficult to watch in some ways, but it is a masterful adaptation. It's beautiful. It, you know, it, it, it I, I don't know. Anyway, yeah, I agree. Yeah. But yeah, you know, the, there's a lot of horror. I mean, there's a lot to be, that's this very tough about that book. And I, I have told my friends, I couldn't, I don't think I could read Beloved again because I read it before I had my daughter. Mm. And I don't think I could read it now that I've nursed my daughter. Like, I think I would not make it through because Mm. that scene, those parts are the horror to me now, right? Mm. Like, I knew it was horror when I read it, but I I, I think I would viscerally be like, not okay to, to read it after these sets of experiences, right, that I've had. And so- when you say hit the tone, I think it'll be interesting to see what they show, right? Because of course you can't make a book into, you can't do everything, right? When you're adapting something, but to see where those tones hit, like what what, what becomes the memorable parts, what becomes the parts that are scary for different people, right? What is it that really sits with you? It's like, now that was beyond the pale. That'll be very interesting to see. And I want to go back to what you were saying about Roots, because, you know, we're at a point now where a lot of people have not seen it, you know, and and I forget that because everybody watched it. You saw it, right. Everyone our age, everyone our generation. (laughs) Back when there were only three networks, that was that was all everybody was watching. But there is this moment where young LeVar Burton, who was in his first major role, his name was Kunta Kinte. And people who might know sort of like a meme version of it, but they don't know exactly what happened. The part of that stripping your language, your culture, your heritage, your religion, your name even mm. was to get him to to stop calling himself Kunta Kente and respond to the name Toby. And they tied him to a tree or I think, or, or something, they tied him and they whipped him and they whipped him and they, what's your name? And he, and he kept saying to Kunta. And then finally he was broken and he said, Toby, and I get goosebumps just remembering that scene, just like you said. Yeah. It's, it's that, it's the breaking of spirit, like, right. And the brutal breaking. And I think maybe some, that's to me, the similarity is that the things that get me that 
that feel like the whole, like that's, that's not that it's the only horror, of course, there are lots, but those are the things that really strike me as I'm like, ooh, that was, that was a tone, right? Mm-hmm. So it'll be, it'll be interesting to see what, what gets lifted, right? And, <laughs> in kindred or what sticks with us right or even how science fiction it comes across like right well, well i guess we have yet to see how or they're going gets, to do or what gets the time added travel. yeah, yeah. Oh, you, know, you gotta add stuff yeah you know the the science fictional element is basically trying to use a science fiction trope or a, a gimmick in order to tell a story the the emphasis in that in that story was not the tool itself. Mm-mm. You know, right. in that sense, it was more fantasy. You know, the science fiction, there's science fiction that deals with, you know, particles traveling back, you know, subatomic particles traveling backwards and stuff like that. So it's it's a totally accepted tool. But what she wanted to do was to say what what would happen. So you know, Octavia, her her deep science fictional background would be in genetics and biology. I saw her go right. deeper into actual science fiction per se there than anything else. Other than that, she would talk about psychic phenomena, you know, like in, in the pattern master books and so forth and so on. So they were they were sort of fantasies. But when she wanted to ground something in science fiction, she would go there and she could go there and she did it she did it superbly. So I'm gonna guess that she's not really going to they're not really going to try to describe the mechanism. Very few time travel stories do. It's just like I focus on this on this thing from the past and I go to the past. It's just it's just to get into the story mm-hmm. more than anything else, because I think that she had other fish to fry. There were other things that she was concerned with. Yeah, she told us during an interview we did with her in 2000 that's in our previous podcast that is all about that interview, that the hardest part of writing that book for her was the research. Because even though she knew the horrors of it, it was another thing to confront it during the research process. So it was a very long, difficult write, she said. And I can absolutely believe that. And it is so ironic that that is her most popular novel. And sort of related to that, it's so interesting that even though so many of her works have been in development for so many years, Dawn has been in development. Well, basically, I'm sure they all are. Wild Seed is in development. I'm sure Parable the Sower is in development, that Kindred is the one that bubbled to the top first. That's the one. And, and I'm wondering if there are similar reasons that that's Probably the most one. relatable. Yeah, most relatable. You know, relatable. we understand the present. We understand slavery. So this is a story about a woman traveling between those two. You don't have to create a completely new world from scratch. Right. It right. is probably least expensive to do well. You know, because you don't have right. a lot of complex effects. Mm-hmm. And special effects... You know, most of the special effects heavy movies are not really deep emotionally, mm-hmm. you know, because the, the effects separate you. So I I I would suspect that it was the most approachable. Right. And let's not forget, even though she has multi-ethnic characters in all of her novels, Dawn, it, I mean, her leads are usually Black women. But she has always presented sort of this multicultural world. People have followers typically in Octavia Butler novels, and those <laughs> followers are all kinds of people, right? 
But in this one, there are very obvious white characters. And that never hurts, honestly, during a pitch (laughs) or to get a green light that her husband is a white man, right? So it's not just in, in the slavery era all the white people are like sort of either slave owners or or sympathetic to slave owners. There's this sympathetic white man character who's central to the story too. I've had people suggest that movies about slavery hit a couple different buttons with white audiences. One is the guilt, mm-hmm. but the other one is we were powerful enough to do this to you guys. Remember that. Uh-oh. <laughs> you know, that there's that it's it's possible to think about about this from multiple directions when you when you're doing are it. you saying it might be a comfort food to some people i think that movies about slavery are comfort food for some people yeah absolutely yeah. just like there are movies yeah. about serial killers where people are are identifying with john wayne gacy i mean seriously well you know when you other thing i thought about was you know when she's writing this interrelation interracial relationships are were not as common or commonplace in media as they are now right think about how many times i turn on i see a commercial right and you you have a you know interracial family and little kids running around but they're selling best buy or something right they're they're not selling that (laughs) right so that was not happening in 1982 right like you were not when she published this no but you know audiences and the majority of people who were buying that book at the time were white the science fiction field was primarily white. Mm. So a white so white characters would give people more of an entree. I mean, they were putting green women on the covers of her books, but wouldn't put black oh, women right. on it. So oh, you can't right. yeah. you can't overestimate or you can't underestimate the the impact of somebody being able to identify with a central character in a book, even if that character is in a negative position. And in this particular case, not a negative position. He's her love. He's her husband. He's her husband. And, and you know, I don't want to give, I'm not going to give anything away, but I will say that that his race does play into the plot significantly and, and adds another layer to the story. But in the trailer, he comes across as like the loving husband who's caring for her and wanting everything to be okay. Sure. Right. I mean, so yes. yeah, of course people are going to identify with that. I mean, <laughs> That guy. And and yeah, he goes through his own version of hell in this story. A different hell, but his own version. Steve, you knew Octavia for more than 20 years. She was a friend. I mean, I made a casual reference to that conversation about Hollywood we had together in 2000. But but dig in for a second. If, if Octavia were watching that trailer, how do you think she would be feeling right now? I think that she would feel that it was a good trailer that got people to watch the story. Let's assume, <laughs> let's, let's assume that she liked the real issue is going to be how did how would she feel about what they did with the yes. actual thing? Right. She understands that the trailer is no more than the box, you know, the, the, than the picture on the box of cereal. Tony the Tiger has nothing to do with sugar frosted flakes. <laughs> but, <laughs> but so I I I think that she would be that practical. She would be she you know the the whole thing about what is the process that you go through between you imagining something and then you writing it and then it being published and then it being bought by Hollywood and then it being developed and finally getting on the screen it's a miracle that anything makes it through that process so i think that she would tend to be she would look at the entire process and be kind of practical about it she might chuckle you know if if the show itself is good then she's going to be okay with how she get how the how you get people to watch the show. Right. And if the show itself is bad, 
then it doesn't matter. <laughs> People will still buy the books, though, hopefully, right? That's yeah, I mean, hopefully her attitude would be very much, well, they're going to buy my book. The author is, that's really a TV show and a movie. It's just <laughs> an ad for the writers. Well, yeah, it's like, it's like the book cover, right? If you need to make green people to sell the book, right? And I know even as a writer, not a filmmaker like you all, right? You know that you don't, you're losing control over the cover of the book. You can give some input. You can say what you like. But you, the publishers are like, look, this is our department. This is marketing, you know, in it's many ways. But I also know that it hurt her, that that it hurt her to realize that the marketing department was probably correct, that, yeah, right. that, that the readers would be less likely to read the book if they saw a Black woman on the cover. And the implications of that for an artist are massive. I mean, that happened to me with, with my first solo novel where they put a white guy on the cover and the character was was black. And the realization that I'm writing to an audience that does not really want to know who I am, mm. that really has an aversion to me in some ways that are not comfortable to think about because art is revelation of self. How do you reveal yourself if on some level you feel like the people you're revealing yourself to do not respect you like you love you? You're not among friends. You're not among family. And you will be accepted by them as long as you stay within a very narrow parameter and keep your mouth shut. Mm. You know, that's those sorts of things. We had lots of conversations. How do we play this game to win? How do we do this? And Octavia was more of more of an artist than I was. And she was she was willing to support herself doing a second job if necessary to write things that she felt were not compromising her vision. And, you know, for good or for ill. I think I made more compromises than than she did. You know, Octavia had the very highest standards in that sense. I had nothing but respect for her. I had a family to support. You know, she was she was willing to live in genteel poverty in some ways, and I think the result of it is she became who it is that we now respect and revere because she did not compromise. And artists at that level, that's one of the things you have to do. You have to be strong enough to say, here I stand. This is who I am. I'm going to tell my stories and the world will come to me. I'm not going to go to them. So Octavia was not really great at compromising. Right, right. Back to, I'm just thinking, an image from the trailer that sticks in my mind, and I'm trying to sort of imagine that I am Octavia, or even just as an Octavia fan, I have a favorite image from the trailer. I don't know if you do too, Monica. It's when she sees the child. He's all dressed in white and he's drowned and she carries the child out of the water. And for me, and that's her first time going back in time. And for me, that just hit me so hard. It was like a hot skillet. I was like, oh, shoot, they did it. They did Kindred, right? (laughs) Because... And I just felt it in my spirit, I guess. Did you have a a moment in the trailer that felt like that for you? You know, I think the moment that got me a little bit was, and you don't, you hear it more than you see it, right? Is where her husband's like, this is real. Like, this really is happening to you. You're not making this up, right? That that affirmation. Partly because, you know, I read novels and believe it totally happened somewhere, right? <laughs> like, my, my fiction is, like, totally true. I believe writers, right? And so I think it's... So I, the, the fact that she is believed, right, in that, that part of the trailer. So it's a way of saying, like, this is fantasy, but it's not fantasy, right? Like, this is real. That part really sticks with me. And I hope that viewers think of it that way. Like, this is real. Because... Even if, you know, like you're saying, Steve, that 
that time travel is that trope that's being used, right, on a spiritual level, on a quantum physics level, we know that the separation of past, present, and future is not as delineated, right, as we are often led to believe or as the language that we use, right, that there really are these connections between, you know, I'll say in a spiritual sense, like who we are, ancestors, the unborn, that are in movement, right? And so to say like, this is real, I'm like, yes, it is. Right. So that's the part that really stuck with me. I'm like, yeah, it is. Come on, let's get it. Let's get it. And you're right. Yeah. Affirmations are rare in horror. You know, that (laughs) that production of a sense that this is real, that verisimilitude, that willingness to suspend disbelief, that willingness to slide into the fantasy until it surrounds you and it's no longer fantasy. This is an alternate reality you're living in. That's the reason why when she was doing more, more traditionally science fiction work, she would do intense research into some aspect of that so that, you know, science fiction really ultimately is show me the math. Have you got the math for this? And so if not, then it, it gets rubberier and rubberier and rubberier. And I think that Octavia had some things that were so important to her to say that she did not want people to be able to escape. You know, it's only a movie. It's only a story. They wanted people to have that sense of there's something real happening yeah. here. And that all writers use research to create that sense of authority, you know, that, that the, that the author is, is God in the universe that they are creating that when they, that we can trust them, that this universe has rules that we recognize because we play by rules in our universe. And the more savage and uncompromising the stories you're telling, the more critical it is to not let people think, well, you can just wave a wand and have anything happen in this world. You know, you can't tell a, it's hard to tell a really deep emotional story in a Harry Potter universe where you, you know, it's just, you know, wave a wand and something happens. There have to be rules. There have to be limits. I just thought of something else, Monica. Let me lay this on you. That affirmation, this is real, this is happening. To me, I can hear it resonating is this was real. This happened. Because we're in an era now where so many people are trying to erase that heritage and history as if Black Americans just sort of landed where we are with all this intergenerational poverty for no reason, except, you know, I guess we're just not up to it. Oh, yeah. Conservative talk show hosts will describe, will talk about how we are all immigrants here. I mean, they literally will do that. Michael Savage was doing that on his show. And I've heard it on other shows that, you know, we're all we're all immigrants as if all of our ancestors came here voluntarily to get up to have a better life. You know, we chose to come here. So what's wrong with you guys? Exactly. There was, you know, there's a reason why it is arguable that there was no movie that dealt with slavery, no theatrical film that dealt with slavery as the thing itself until Django Unchained, a a theatrical motion picture. It was television stuff. And there were movies that dealt with issues surrounding slavery. But the institution itself from the position of slaves was the third rail of American media. And you know now we're starting to do it, but as soon as you had a second movie, people were saying, "Oh, we've had too much of this." You know, yeah. So it's what would it's you unbelievably say? painful. What would you say, Monica, to people who say we've had too much of this, too much of slavery in film and television? <laughs> what a privilege they'll say, right? <laughs> you know, right? it's like we've we've had too much. I mean, clearly there's a lot 
of our culture and history that's not slavery, right? And I mean, that's always important to talk about that that's not the only story, of course. But it is a important story. <laughs> it is an important Very. story, right? And like, is there, what do, what do you mean there's too much? Like, no one says there are too many mafia movies or there's too many, like, you know, like. Yeah. Well, Italian, some Italians do. You know, so like, it's, if, if the ox is goring you, you don't notice that the horn is only in one part of your body. You know, you, it, your whole body feels on fire. So it's, it's understandable how people can feel like to, just one or two movies and they're getting hit over the head. But some of those people are identifying with the slaves and others are saying, you're trying to make me feel guilty. There's too much of this. Mm. Yeah, it's I'm just- like, Well, you know, it's a guilt shoot fits, you know. <laughs> I'm like, yeah. To a certain degree. Um, Right. I mean, I hadn't read in the Encyclopedia Britannica that black people were inferior and the Encyclopedia Britannica used to say that I would I might not think that it was necessary to be really clear about why the statistics are what they are, you know, without understanding how tilted the playing field is. And Octavia was someone who, in the course of her research, had something that she needed to say. And thank God she had the skill to say it. You know, when, when we when we talk about writing, and one of the things that I admire about Tananarive is that she will start generally with an emotion. And then she will feel her way into it and then build a structure and then write spontaneously. And then in the rewriting process, she'll work with that structure. A lot of science fiction starts with a thought, an idea, rather than an emotion. I think, frankly, that starting from the emotion is the is a superior approach. I try to weave the two, really. Yeah, I know you do, and and, and you do, and you do it superbly. A lot of your skills for how to weave that are at that unconscious competence. When we talk about when we teach students, we want to have that marriage of the heart and the head and the body. The body just has to sit there and do the damn typing, right? You know? But your heart has to inhabit these people. And the head has to understand structure. So, so Monica, yeah. oh, go on, go on, yeah. I was gonna say, well, I mean, that I like you put you go back to the writing part because that's one thing you know. Of course, Octavia Butler does so well is you feel like you're in that world, right? And even as a writer, I'm I don't know if I'm trying to make it, it feel like someone's in my world, right? I write different genres than you all, but I do want to give people a sense of not just what happened, but how things feel, how things felt. Right. Mm-hmm. I don't know if I'm successful. I always have to ask people like, well, where can people are? find out more about your writing? Yeah, where, tell, where, us more. tell us about your presence on the web so people can find you and your books because you are a writer, writer. Oh, thank you. You can find me at monicaacoleman.com and I'm on all the socials as Rev DR, Monica, Rev Dr. Monica, on your, all your socials. I don't really hang out on LinkedIn too much. So I'm not, I'm a different name there. I'm Monica A. Coleman there, but I'm not there. And so my most recent book is a memoir called Bipolar Faith, A Black Woman, The Journey of Depression and Faith. And that's probably the one I was referring to where I like trying to tell a story, but also this is, I want you to kind of feel how it feels or I'm trying to convey how it feels. 
as a writer, that was my hope, right? And of course, the things that I was worried about, no one else cared about, the things that I didn't think that much about, people like, that was the part, right? Like you can't, you don't know how people are going to receive your work. And I also have some other academic writing, but you can find all of that on my website, monicaacoleman.com. Well, thank you so much for joining us here on the Life Writing Podcast. I don't have my sound bag. Definitely do your pop-up. We are going to do a pop-up. We have to do a pop-up. Yeah. We said, we always said, we're like, we're not ending it forever. We're just not going to be monthly. But if we get moved, right, we'll pop up. What better reason than the debut of an Octavia E. Butler series? And as I've said for many years, if she can't get on the screen, what hope do the rest of us have? So thank goodness. <laughs> thank goodness. Is right. And, and you can pop up if you if you need to, Monica. But we we're going to talk roll into bit. talking about the sponsor of this podcast. Which is like, oh, yeah. talk about the sponsors. Yeah, yeah absolutely. LifeWritingPremium.com. We have conversations like this. It's a series of lectures. It's essays. It's a social media group. It's prompts. weekly writing prompts. Whether you're a, a brand new writer who has not yet been published and is looking for sort of a framework and discipline to get to publication, or you might have an MFA, you might have your craft skills down, but you, again, haven't crafted a structure with the discipline <laughs> to finish and publish, then Life Writing Premium, I think, is a, is a choice for you because we have been where you are. We have been alone and afraid. And we're still in the trenches with you. Yeah, we absolutely are. We still get the occasional rejection slip. We still, I know I sometimes still have to struggle for motivation and keeping up those page counts. And that the life writing, uh, the life writing philosophy that the journey to becoming a real writer, someone who's producing and who is consistently writing and who is publishing can be boiled down at times to just a sentence a day. If you will write, if you can commit to writing a sentence a day, we can get you started. We'll leverage you from writing a sentence a day to writing at least one story a month and then understanding how to sell it, where to sell it, developing the emotional, the technical skills, the habit patterns that will take the dreams in your heart and turn them into words on the page. And we would just love to be, you love you to be our next success story. We've had so many people, we've helped so many people get to their first publications. And it's, it is just, it's not rocket science. It really isn't. It is, are you willing to commit? Are you willing to share your dreams? Can you can you write at least one sentence a day? If you can, we can do the rest. Yeah, if you like this podcast, you will love our course because we're basically us. We're the same people. That's right. But we're talking more specifically about craft, characterization, plot, uh, Thematics. Screen, screenwriting, yeah. whether you're a screenwriter or a prose writer, check out www.lifewritingpremium.com. It's a weekly digital download. You get new prompts every week and new lessons every week. And we can't wait for you to join our community. You take care and we will see you next week. Be the hero or heroine in your own story. The hero in the adventure of your lifetime. Bye-bye, everybody. See you next time. All right. You've been listening to the Life Writing Podcast. Join us next time for more conversations about creating the project of your dreams. For more information, go to lifewritingpremium.com and get ready to write for your life.